First Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, let's read responsively. The Word of God says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Let's pray. Lord, great passage of scripture, a lot of truth here, help us to unpack it tonight and apply it to our lives so we can be more like you. Spirit of God, you the teacher, I'm the voice, please empower me to fulfill the will of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. This is an interesting portion of scripture. This chapter starts out with two verses about the relationship between masters and servants, which I think is worthy. Uh, the Bible was interested uh, in teaching Christians how we are to interact with one another. Again, as we said this morning, God's not going to come down and show himself to the lost people in Wakefield. That's not his plan. He needs them to choose to believe him by faith through the word of God, through the testimony of believers. And so people see God through creation, through their conscience, and through us. And it's important. God, God wants us to know how to treat one another. And he said that this servant-master relationship in our culture, it would be the employee-employer relationship. This is an important way where people can look and see how you treat your boss and your leadership to see Christ in you. And especially if you have a, a boss or a master that is a believer, then they're not only do the respect that goes to an employer or a master, they're due an extra measure of respect as a brother in Christ. Right? And so God's teaching us this truth in verses 1 and 2, and we could teach a whole message on that. But then it's almost as if the, the Lord says that, and then he knows that people are going to disagree with that. He knows people are going to disagree with those two verses. So he takes a moment to teach us a greater truth. And that is, how do we respond to people that reject the truth of God's word? And then the next few verses in verses 3, 4, and 5 teach us three lessons about how to respond to people that reject God's word. And this is so vital because we live in a world uh, where people do reject the Lord, of course. And uh, people are spiritually deceived. And they, they don't know a lot about spiritual things. Some people think they know a lot about spiritual things, and they don't know a lot about spiritual things. There are many people that call themselves Christians, and they think they know an awful lot, but man, they know very little Bible. 
You know, I had someone quote the verse to me, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, it says in the Bible. Well, no, it doesn't say that in the Bible at all. Uh, you know, and we have all these thoughts and, and phrases that we've picked up, you know, our ideas about who God is and what church should be and the, the role of a Christian in this world. And uh, if we don't have a Bible basis, then we're going to get caught up in all that stuff. So, you know, at Curtis Corner Baptist Church, we're interested in what the Bible says. Uh, I'm not going to argue with people. I will help instruct people. I will help try to teach people the truth who are in error. Uh, and, and we're going to talk about that in, in, in a few moments. But I'm not going to spend my life arguing with people that just want to argue. And there's like a black hole in your life of people that just want to argue. And if you're not careful, it'll suck out your strength. It'll, it'll suck out your, your, your uh, desire, your, your will. I mean, it's just some people, they're like emotional vampires that they latch on and they'll just suck the life right out of you. And then we've got false teachers on the other side that are propagating things that are not true, trying to turn us to fables. And so how do we respond to people that don't believe God's word? I want to show you just three things in the scripture here this evening. How many of you know someone that doesn't believe God's word? That's everybody. So see how this is applicable? Uh, and, And we so desperately want to teach them God's word. We so desperately want them to be saved or to to walk in in accordance with Christ and to get right with God and follow God's plan. But you can't make them. And you're going to waste your time debating the wrong people if you're not careful. But then if you're not careful also, you'll become so cynical that you'll stop helping the people who really are looking for answers. So how do we find that balance? And we look here in the scriptures, God teaches us three things. Let me say number one. How do we respond to this whole idea of uh, handling people that don't believe God's word? Number one, teach the sound doctrine of the Bible. Well, before we deal with people that don't believe the Bible, we just have to understand we have to teach the Bible. Yo, God uh, said nice things about the Thessalonians because when they heard about the word of God, they saw it as the word of God. They believed it as the word of God. Uh, God honored the Bereans in mentioning them and said they not only saw the word of God and listened, but they went and studied things out for themselves. You know, whenever we're thinking about Christianity, we have to understand the role of the word of God in our lives cannot be overstated. It absolutely can't be overstated. This is our manual. This is our guide. Uh, If you don't know this book, it's going to be impossible for you to honor God with your life. It's absolutely true. If you don't know this book, you're going to struggle in your marriage more than you need to. If you're going to know this book, you're going to not understand some things about parenting until long after the kids are gone. You're going to misunderstand or not not get some things about life until you've already lived a lot of it, and then you're going, the, the oh, now I get it moment. This Bible affords us such wisdom, eternal wisdom, wisdom that has been proved out in thousands and thousands of years. Why in the world would we not want to know what it says? I mean, if I told you tomorrow, read this book and you can make a a thousand more dollars this month, I guarantee you'd be like, boom, I'm on it. And that's why the self-help books sell a lot. The how to get rich books make the people who wrote them rich. Because people are looking for a quick fix. They're looking for for some quick thing to change in their lives without much effort. But the Word of God is the greatest crib notes in the world. 
you could have not just a lifetime of wisdom, lifetimes of wisdom. What if you lived to be 90 years old and then with all the knowledge and wisdom you had, God allowed you to live life over? You'd probably do a better job than you did the first time. Well, you don't get a second chance in this life. We all only have one chance. But God said, I'm not just going to give you the wisdom of the old sages. I'm going to give you heavenly wisdom, eternal wisdom, wisdom that works every single time. And that's the word of God. So we have to confirm and constantly reaffirm our commitment to the word of God. Teach the sound doctrine of God's word. We saw in the end of verse two there, he's talking about uh, masters and servants. And then the end of verse two, look at the last phrase. These things teach and exhort. So God says, I need you to be teaching these things. Find out that which is true and teach it over and over and over. The Bible says that they began to both do and teach the word of God. And let me say that we not only need to know the word of God, we need to be living out the word of God. You know, there's two ways to teach. You teach with, teach with your words and you teach with your life. So people listen more closely to what we say with our life than what we say with our words. But boy, what a powerful thing it is when your words and your actions come into harmony. Now you have a powerful life and you're living the life that God has designed for you. And so uh, teach and exhort. Look at Titus chapter 2. We're talking about teaching sound doctrine. Before we realize what to do with those that don't believe, we have to understand that we're all about the Bible. We're people of the book. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become, what are the next two words? Sound doctrine. What are they? Sound doctrine. Altogether, what are they? Sound doctrine. And so what is sound doctrine? That's healthy doctrine. The doctrine of the word of God. Unmixed. We don't take out the pieces we don't like. We don't recreate it so it's more palatable or so it's easier to understand. We give God's word as he gave it to us. We are those who learn God's word. We live God's word. We teach God's word and we teach sound doctrine. It's our goal to teach the Bible. Every service of our church, it's my goal to teach you the Bible. In Sunday school, it's the teacher's goal to teach you the Bible. In junior church, their goal is to teach you the Bible. In the nursing home, goal is to teach you the Bible. Phoenix House, teach you the Bible. Prison, teach you the Bible. Bus routes, teach you the Bible. Soul winning, teach you the Bible. It's all about teaching the Bible. And I'll go a little bit further. It's the preacher's job to make sure that no other doctrine is taught in the church than sound doctrine. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Years ago, someone, someone uh, said, well, who does the pastor think he is telling us what we can or can't teach in Sunday school? Well, he's the pastor. And the word pastor means overseer. And before you think, well, that sounds great, man. He just said, I can't wait. What if I was up there just bossing people around? It ain't like that. The job of a pastor is not the job walking out with your chest wide open and chest out and your chin up and bossing people around and telling them what to do. The truth is, the life of a pastor is a life of a servant. Remember years ago, I was just a young man, probably 18 years of age, and going to a Bible college in Indianapolis before I went to Howells Anderson. I went there for a year. God had some things to teach me. And on Wednesday nights, we were going to a little church that had just started on, on South 
of Indianapolis in Greenwood, Indiana. The church is still there. They're a large church now. I was at their church a few years ago, have beautiful buildings. And I was there when, when literally on Wednesday nights there would just be a handful of people meeting in an old church. And the pastor was a kind man, and myself and another young man was going there on Wednesday nights. On Sundays, I would travel back to Blessed Hope. It was only about an hour and a half away. But on Wednesday nights, we would go there, and I'll never forget the pastor. Uh, one night, the man that was with me said, what's it like to be a pastor? What's it like to serve God? And the man said, you want me to show you what it's like to be a servant, to be a pastor? And the young man with me said, yes. And the dear pastor brother, I can see his face right now, he sat down on the ground. We're outside in front of the church, at the front door of the church. He sat down on the sidewalk on the porch, laid back, and now he's laying down, and he says, step on my chest. And the young man's like, no, sir. No, sir. And uh, he said, no, step on my chest. Uh, No, sir, I can step on my chest. And the young man gets up. Of course, he didn't pick me. I was a lot heavier than the other young man. (laughs) And he got the other young man who was fairly skinny. And uh, he got up, and he's balancing on the guy's chest. And now the the brother sitting, laying there on the ground, he says, now wipe your feet on me. And the, the other brother said, no, sir, no, sir. Wipe your feet on me. And he began to wipe his shoes on him. He said, now get off. And he stood up, and the other young man's got tears running down his face, and I've got tears in my eyes. I mean, like, this is like, whoa, teaching moment. And he stood up, and he had dark places on either side of his white shirt. And he said, that's what it's like to be a pastor. And he said, it's the greatest privilege in all the world. (laughs) You talk about a teaching moment. See, serving God's about serving people. It's about being there for people. It's about denying yourself so you can help others. And that starts the moment you trust Christ, but the higher you get up in Christian service, the more you have to learn to deny yourself at the expense of others. The Apostle Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Notice he wasn't complaining about it. He was very gladly. I'm not complaining about it. He was very gladly spend and be spent. It's the privilege of my life to serve God and be a pastor. But don't ever look up at the pastor and say, oh, he just gets up there and hollers at everybody, tells people what to do. I got to go ask pastor what to do. Well, you, you don't ever look at it like that. It's a great work, the Bible says. But one of the great jobs of a pastor, the important jobs of a pastor, is to oversee the work of God. As a servant to God, there are elements of overseeing and making sure that certain things are done right. Yes, we are going to teach these things. And yes, these classes will run this way. And yes, the church will function like this. And yes, these are the ministries we're going to have. That's not dictatorship. That is under the headship of Christ, serving Christ by ordering things like He would if He was here. It's a blessing to do so. But one of the important jobs of a pastor is to make sure that the teaching stays straight in the church, that there's no false doctrine that gets into the church. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies and minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. 
And he says, listen, Timothy, your job is to tell those, make sure those preachers are keeping the preaching straight in the church. Make sure the doctrine is sound. Make sure salvation is simple. Make sure Christ is is, uh, uh, sufficient. Make sure God is holy. Make sure heaven's real and hell is hot and salvation's for everybody. Keep the preaching straight, Timothy. It's our goal to teach the Bible. The foolish doctrines and meaningless teachings cause confusion and distraction. You see there in verse 4, neither give heed to fables. What are that? Those are stories. Made up stories. And endless genealogies. You know, the Jews were very interested in genealogies. It mattered to them whose son was the whose son of, you know, you get in Leviticus and Numbers and so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so. And we're like, what in the world? Who cares about this? The Jews cared. That was important to them. But endless genealogies, I mean, you could talk about that stuff forever. You get to the minutia of that and argue about the little details, and you can make the small things bigger than the big things. You can make genealogies bigger than the cross. You can make your, your pet ideas bigger than the empty tomb. And Timothy, keep the preaching straight. The Bible says we need to be building people up. Into verse 4 says, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So we're supposed to be edifying people, not teaching things that minister questions. You know, some people, their life is wrapped in questions. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Well, you go to God's word and you find out the answer and you you can begin having a lot of exclamation points and periods in your life instead of all the questions. And hopefully after I get up and preach to you or people in this pulpit or other preachers and teachers get up and preach to you and teach to you, you're not you don't have more questions. You have something settled in your heart that that's what the word of God says on that subject. False teachings create question marks and strife. We're to be building people up. We shouldn't be mudding the waters with competing doctrines and philosophies. Remember years ago I was talking to a man. And he said, you know, I just, I, I, I just can't find a church that believes exactly like I do. And he believes some weird stuff. And I, I said, have you ever considered the possibility that you might be wrong? And he didn't. He knew he was right. Let me just give you a little tip. If everybody else in the world is wrong, and you think you're right on a subject, if you can't find anybody that agrees with you, it's probably because you're weird. right? It's probably because you're wrong. If you can't find out of of 7 billion people and Christians that have been from a lineage that have been following Christ for 2,000 years, if you think you've come up with some new doctrine... If you think you've come up with something that everybody else has missed, you're probably getting into false doctrine. Because there's always been the preaching of sound doctrine. False teachers love to infiltrate churches to corrupt them. False teachers often don't go out and start their own churches. That's too much work. They can't get a crowd. Unless they're throwing a rock concert and giving stuff away. But what false teachers love to do is come into a church like this and start teaching things. And so 
we have always got to be careful. I'm always on guard, and we're very careful about over the years about who we have come in and preach, and missionaries we have come in, and evangelists we have come in. I mean, we can tell you horror stories about evangelists that go into churches, and all of a sudden they're up there preaching false doctrine, and the pastor's got to get up and stop them from preaching and, and uh, explain to the church, hey, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have brought this guy in. We don't believe anything he just said. I mean, those things, and not to say that'll never happen, but we work hard on the, on the back end to keep that from coming before you. Right, so that we can keep good doctrine in front of you. Uh, so many good churches have been corrupted. You know, most of these rock and roll churches started out as churches like this. Most of the emerging churches started out as churches like this. And then they get a new pastor, or they, they, they start having some false doctrine. They start following different authors. They, they start reading different books. The next thing you know, this false doctrine begins to get in the church. And false doctrine, the, the Bible tells us, is like a leaven. You ever bake bread? There's nothing like fresh baked bread. Let me just take a moment here. There's just nothing like fresh baked bread. I mean, coming out of the oven all hot and smelling good. Then the outside's all nice and crunchy and the inside's soft. Let me tell you, amen right there. That's right. We're not going to have none of this gluten-free bread in here, bless God. It's false doctrine. <laughs> I do have gluten-free bread at home, God forgive me. And uh, we've made gluten-free bread, we've bought gluten-free bread. It ain't the same, folks. All right? When it comes to bread, leaven and gluten's good. Mentally, and maybe not physically. But uh, when it comes to the scripture, leaven's not good. And it comes in, and all you got to do is put a little bit of yeast in there, and it just finds a way to work its way into every nook and cranny. Look at Acts chapter 20. By the way, I'm not saying this to fix anything tonight. I'm just teaching you on what the Bible says, how to deal with people that don't believe God's word. Now, we're getting somewhere. We're talking about teaching God's word. As a church, we're interested in teaching God's word. Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. Here they're speaking to preachers. And he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the, the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Great verse. And then look at this. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He said, Listen. As soon as I'm gone, the Apostle Paul was the, the, the teacher of teachers. He was there helping guide everybody and getting these new pastors on their feet. He said, I want to tell you something. As soon as I'm gone, there's going to be people come in here and try to change what we've been talking about from God's Word. And that's always the truth. And pastors have to be on their guard. Let me say, Dad, you've got to be on guard in your home. What's coming in your home? Mom, you've got to be on guard what's going on with the kids. There's that, that responsibility of overseeing. That is so important. And then he says uh, in, in the next verse, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He said, listen, not only are people going to try to get in from the outside, but eventually there's going to be people from among you right here that are going to change. And we've got to be so careful, folks. Listen, don't, don't get following these liberal guys. Don't get reading that, that liberal, those liberal books. 
Don't, don't get listening to that liberal preaching. Man, they'll make it sound good. They, they've got oratory and, and, and gifts and all of those things, man. They'll have you uh, convinced of just about anything if you're not careful. If you listen to it, you say, oh, that'll never happen to me. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. Even with men better than me and you. The devil's good at his job. That's why the next verse says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. we got to watch. we got to be on our guard for false doctrine. But we won't know what false doctrine is unless we know God's Word. You know, the old tellers at the banks, they didn't spend a lot of time studying counterfeit money, but what they did is they handled countless bills of, of real money. And then when someone would slip them a fake, they would feel the difference as they were counting. You ever see your banker and it's like, uh, here's a hundred bucks. <laughs> They're counting so fast and I'm always like, let me see that. You know, and I'm like recounting it because you know, those, they count pretty fast. But they know what that feels like. They know the, the real thing so well that they can spot the counterfeit very quickly. And the way that you get to spot the counterfeit is not by studying all the counterfeits as much as so learning the truth being so well indoctrinated in the truth of God's word that when you hear something that's not biblical, it's like, hey, that's not true because this verse says this. And because that chapter says this. That's how we protect ourselves. I've seen it happen so many times. Men, be corrupted. Be careful who you follow on TV. Years ago, I was home. I mean, this is back when I was still in Bible college. I was home uh, on vacation one time, and I was flipping through the channels, and I came across a religious station. And I mean, this guy was preaching up a storm. I mean, he was preaching. And I stopped it right there. I said, hey, this is good stuff. And he's preaching just like you or I would. I mean, he's shucking the corn, preaching the truth. But then all of a sudden, he got on salvation. It's like, okay, if you've been doing any of this stuff, come down here and get saved again. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And then their invitation turned into like this. There were so many drums and, and organs and different things. I mean, it was like some kind of voodoo chant going on up there. I mean, it was, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this guy's slick. Come to find out, he used to be a Baptist who'd become a different denomination who embraced a lot of falsehoods. And he's affected a lot of people over the years. But we have to know the word of God well enough to be able to say, whoa, wait a minute. There's someone who was married in this auditorium and went to the mission field to be missionaries. And today they call themselves Jews, saying that Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. How do you get there? How do you get from growing up, believing God, going to Bible college, becoming a missionary? I'll tell you, you know how you get there? Little by little. Little by little, you believe this doctrine here, you read this here, you watch this here, you pick this up here, you get this here. And then what you see is you just see a trajectory of change after change after change after change after change. And once you start changing, it's awful hard to stop. Once you get unhooked from this Bible here, it's awful hard to stop that slide. It's that way in your own life. How many people are out in our community tonight, this weekend, they did things that a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, they would have said, I would never do that. I would never be involved in that. But they're out, they're out doing it week by week. Why? Because they changed. 
And I'm not mad at them. I'm just saying we have to take heed unto ourselves. We have to know the Word of God. We have to understand the Word of God. Why do we do what we do? Because the Bible says this. Why don't we do this and that? Because the Bible says this. And as your preacher, it's my job, my goal in life is to say for for just about everything we do, here's a Bible verse or a Bible principle for why we do the things we do. There's a reason we don't do things other churches do. There's a reason we do things other churches don't do. It's found in these pages. These aren't whims. These aren't preferences. It's the Word of God. And so we teach the Word of God. So do you understand that before we can deal with people that are rejecting God's Word, we have to learn the Word of God so well ourselves and be committed to teaching the Word of God. Let me encourage you men. You men are the pastor of your home. You men are to feed and lead and guide the sheep in your home, your precious wife, your children. Take that spiritual responsibility, not as one that that becomes Lord and, and says, woman, submit, and kids bow down to me and all of that kind of stuff. That's just ego. Don't, don't use God and His Word as an excuse to fulfill your, your weird fantasies. But we do want to look at God's Word and say, I've been called to lead my home. I've been called to lead my family. Don't make the wife always ask if you want to pray. Don't make her ask if you're going to church. Don't make her say, hey, can we pray with the kids? Or can we? No, you take the spiritual leadership. Hey, let's pray before we eat. Hey, kids, let, let's, let, let's pray before we put you to bed. Hey, Saturday night, kids, don't forget tomorrow. Honey, don't forget tomorrow. We need to leave this time going to church. I don't want to be late. I need to get there and help the preacher. I've got responsibilities. Or I, I want to be there uh, early. Take the leadership of your home. We could go on and on about that. Let me say number two. Some will reject the plain teaching of God's word. So you with me? Number one, teach the sound doctrine of God's word. That's what we learned in First Corinthians chapter six. These things teach and exhort. Then secondly, some are going to reject the plain teaching of God's word. Look at second Timothy chapter four. We all know verse 2, preach the word, but look at verse 1. Why, why is the preacher to preach the word? I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. I don't preach the word because it makes people happy. I don't preach the word because it makes people sad. I preach the word because it's God's word. And I was called to preach God's word. If you wanted to call me to preach your word, you can try it. Give me a salary package. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll see if I want to do it. That's a joke. I'm not for sale. But God tapped on my life and said, I want you to preach my word. I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't even want to do it at first. And it doesn't matter how much money I make. That's what I was created to do. But if I'm going to be a preacher of God's word, then I want to be a preacher of God's word. That means whether we have five or 500, I want to preach God's word. Whether everybody's happy or everybody's sad, I want to preach God's word. And I want to preach it in love and I want to preach it not trying to hurt people, but trying to get people to understand this is the very word of God. Look at verse 2, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. That's when it's popular, when it's not popular. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? Look at verse 3, for the time will come. When they, who's that? That's the church. That's the church members. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, wait a minute. We just read that we're supposed to be preaching sound doctrine. That's our goal is to learn sound doctrine, to embrace it, to live it, to teach it. But there comes a time when some people get to the place where they say, I don't want that sound doctrine. I want my doctrine. I want to do what I want to do. And if you're not careful, that could be you and I. Make no mistake about it, friend. Your flesh is just as capable as anybody else's flesh to sin. And you might look at yourself and say, oh, I would never do that. Don't say that because under the right conditions, you're, there is, there, it would shock you what you would do if you got far enough away from God and in the right circumstances. It would scare us to death. But the Bible says there's going to come a time when they won't endure sound doctrine. So what do they do? But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, when it says after their own lusts, they want someone who's telling them it's okay to do what they want to do. It's, it's okay to give me permission to do what I want to do. And in a church like this, you either stay right with God or you get so frustrated, you get tired of people telling you to do what God says. And if you're surrendered, it's like, man, I love that. And if you're backslidden, it's like, man, I wish you wouldn't talk about that. And if you get right with God, it's like, man, thank God he talked about that. But if you're rebellious, it's like, I can't believe he talked about that again. And I can't believe he did that again. And this church has so many limitations. And this church has so many expectations. And all of this. No, the problem is, sir, the problem is, ma'am, that you've stopped being surrendered to the word of God. And you're saying, why won't someone tell me what I want to hear? Because a true preacher will never tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you what you need to hear. And if you ever find a preacher that's telling you what you want to hear, is he really a preacher at all? Look at Titus chapter 1. We doing okay? Titus chapter 1. Verse 9. Again, not fixing anything tonight. I'm trying to teach us how to deal with people. We live in a community that doesn't care what God's Word says. We have friends and family that don't care what God's Word says. So what do we do about that? First, we teach the Word of God. Second, we understand some will reject the plain teaching of God's Word. Uh, Titus chapter 1, look at verse 9. Holding fast the faithful Word as it hath been taught, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, a gainsayer, that's an old English word. It means one who contradicts or denies what is alleged. So you'd say the Bible says this, and they'll say, that's not what the Bible says. That's a gainsayer. And you'll show them a verse in the Bible, and you'll say, the Bible says this. You know, John three sixteen. the Bible says if you believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven. They say, well, that's not what the Bible says. Pretty sure it is. That's not what the Bible says. They're a gainsayer. But the Bible says the hope for the gainsayer and our response to gainsaying is sound doctrine. We're not going to reach people by lessening the word of God. We're not going to reach people by making the word of God more palatable. We're going to reach people by telling them the truth. Amen? Amen. We tell them the truth. Then look back at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're to be teaching the Word of God. We understand some will reject the plain teaching of God's Word. Verse 4 tells us why they deny the truth. 
Now, there's other reasons in the scripture, but these two found here will be enough for us tonight. Verse 4, why does he deny the truth? He is proud and knowing nothing. You know, pride is a powerful thing. There are people that think they know a lot of scripture. But they don't. Uh, Brother Clark said something yesterday that I liked. He said, if you're not living it, you haven't learned it yet. A lot of people have knowledge up here. They can tell you what the Bible says, but they've never truly learned it because it's never come out of their life. They know the facts, but they've never learned the truth of it. And so a lot of people pride. Have you ever found, you tried to talk to someone about the Bible? Oh, I know what the Bible says. Really, you ever read the Bible? No. Well, how do you know what it says if you never read it? Oh, I've read the whole Bible. Really, have you read the book of Philistines? Oh, I loved it. There is no book of Philistines. You know, I've, I've literally done that to people. Uh, oh, I, I go to church. You knock on the door. Hi, I'm Pastor Chapman. I go, oh, oh, I have a church. Oh, really, what church you go to? Oh, I go to that church down there in the corner. I've been going there for years. What's the pastor's name? Uh, they don't go to church there. They think they know. Oh, I know how to go to heaven. I'm a good person. Really? Where'd you come up with that doctrine that you're hanging your eternal destiny on? I just feel that way. Oh, okay, so your feelings, let's just do away with the 66 books of God's Word because this is how you feel or this is what you heard one time. Folks, people don't know the Bible. They're Bible ignorant, and it's our job to teach the Bible. And I encourage each one of you, read a chapter a day. Come to church as much as you can. Study God's Word. Let me give you good books and recommend good books that you can be reading and studying on your own. Listening, listen to preaching during the week. You've got to know God's Word so you know how to deal with people who don't. And then the Bible says, uh, why, why do they reject God's Word? In verse 4 it says he's proud. Then secondly it says knowing nothing. They're ignorant. There's a lot of people that pretend to know the truth and perhaps they even believe they do as we talked about. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought there's four levels of wrong that I, that I thought about this afternoon as I was looking over the message. First of all, there's the ignorant. And this is someone who just doesn't know. They just don't know. How many people that don't know say, I don't know? Matter of fact, I got good advice years ago that said, Paul, if you don't know, just say, I don't know. Don't pretend like you know. Just say, I don't know, but I can get the answer for you. Uh, but there's ignorant people. They just don't know any better. And then there the, the fo- there's the fool. This is the person that doesn't care. They know the truth. They might not know the truth. They don't care to know the truth. They don't, if they did know the truth, it wouldn't matter one bit because they don't care. They want to do what they want to do. All right, then there's the scorner. This is someone who not only, they're a little bit worse than the fool in that they, they not only don't care about the truth, they mock you for believing it. And so now they're not just passive about it. I I don't care either way. They're actively against the truth. You believe that? I mean, you're one of those girls that wear skirts. I can't believe you do that. You're one of those people that listen to hymns and Christian music. I can't believe you do that. You go to church Sunday night. (laughs) That's ridiculous. They mock you. And perhaps they used to sit where you sit. But they mock you. Why? Because they've become full of scorn. They set themselves up as judge and jury. And then the fourth level of false of wrong is false teachers. 
They're worse than the ignorant, worse than the fool, worse than the scorner. They not only mock the right way, they actively teach the wrong way. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that think they know better, especially online. You've got to be careful online. There's wonderful opportunities to be available online, but there's tons of false preaching online. Tons of false doctrine. A preacher friend of mine was telling me about, he, he posted something online commenting on somebody else's thing on Facebook, and he quoted, uh, be a lover of good men. And someone else commented back, well, if you knew your Bible, you'd know the Bible says there's none that doeth good. There's none good. And the preacher just kind of sighed because the person that commented didn't know that he was actually quoting a Bible verse. And so someone so puffed up with pride, oh, if you knew the Bible, someone has been in the ministry for 30, 40 years. Someone has been faithful in the trenches. If you knew your Bible, no, son, the problem is I do know my Bible. And while it's true when it comes to salvation, there's none that doeth good. There's also the doctrine in the New Testament of a good man is following the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Bible says an awful lot about good people. But here's someone condemning a faithful man of God because he didn't know any better. But he did it with the spirit of pride. You know, it's interesting. The drunkard wants to teach us the meaning of the word wine in the Bible. The backslider explains to us why the Bible doesn't tell you to go to church. The dissident is happy to explain where the, where the church is wrong biblically and why the pastor doesn't know the Bible. The rebel waxes eloquent that God doesn't care about your appearance because he looks on your heart. Oh, I know what the Bible says. I know what the... You believe that because I know what you don't know anything. You don't even know enough to be dangerous, these people talking about that kind of stuff. And some of you faithful people of God, you've been studying the Bible your whole lifetime. And some little pipsqueak will get up and start talking about your life. And, well, you don't do this right and you don't do that right. That's ridiculous. Don't be filled with pride. Let me encourage you young people. Don't be filled with pride. Don't don't be filled with arrogance. Well, I've been in church my whole life. There's a difference between being in church and knowing the truth of God. There's a difference in knowing Bible stories and knowing the doctrine behind them. And so we need to stay humble and realize that that we're studying the word of God so that we can teach others. But we know it well enough. So when someone comes back at us with false doctrine, we know why they're wrong and we don't get swayed. I encourage you, be careful who you listen to. Today, everyone with a smartphone and a Twitter account wants to be a theologian. I am so fed up with social media. I have, I, I'm on it because the Lord told me to. And I go on it because that's where people are. And I'll post things here and there and I'll share stuff, what's going on in New England. But man, I go on there some days and it's like, it's just so discouraging. The ignorance, the pride, the foolishness by people that rather than wanting to learn the word of God and be like Christ, they're on there just spouting what they think they know. Check up on someone before you buy into their beliefs. You know, before, before you let go of the teachings of a, of a pastor that's been at a church for many years and has a, been a faithful man of God, you better check up on that person who's, who's typing those words online before you throw away that. You better, you better check up before you throw away the history of fundamentalism and independent Baptist churches and all that. You better check up on the people that are trying to convince you that all that's wrong. 
You might be listening to someone sitting in a chair in their underwear living in their parents' basement. Typing on a cheap laptop. Their own dog won't come when he calls them. But they got a following online. You got to be careful of that stuff. There's so many things, even people in our community, that are disgruntled. You know, I think about online and, and the different things. There's disgruntled church members that are just mad at church and God. There's backslidden Christians. There's liberals cloaked as the right kind of teacher. There's false teachers. There's pretend preachers. But I encourage you, you need to know the Word of God so well that you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. You say, preacher, I don't know much about the Bible. That's okay, because you're in a good place if you're teachable. You're in a good place if you're willing to learn. We, we can put you up, if you're a new Christian or you're interested in these things, you want to learn, we can put you with someone that's been saved a long time. We've got wonderful Christians in this room. We've got wonderful, faithful people. Some are old, some are young, but they're faithful. They, they, they know the Word of God, and they'd be happy to teach you the things of God. We've got, as I said, books and preaching tapes. If you want to learn, there's no reason for you not to learn. Let me show you this, the tools of rejection. Look at verse 4. The Bible says he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising. So when someone rejects God's word, they go to their toolbox and they pull out tools to try to get you to doubt God's word. And the first one mentioned here is questions. Isn't that what Satan did in the Garden of Eden when he questioned Eve? Yea, hath God said. Now, there's nothing wrong with having questions. I've had people before that have, that have grown up in churches, and they said, you know what, in our church, it was wrong to ask a question. Boy, if you question, if you had a question in any way, maybe the pastor felt like you were, were, were uh, doubting him, and, and he took it personally, maybe the church took that as offense. I'll tell you right off, you have a pastor that doesn't mind questions. Matter of fact, questions are how you learn. I never have a problem when someone comes up and asks me a sincere question. But you need to search your heart about why are you asking the question. Are you asking the question to prove a point because you think you know better? Or are you asking a question because you sincerely want to know? There's a huge difference. And so we ought to welcome questions. But Satan will ask questions to cause doubt. The atheists, the unbelievers, the humanists will pepper you with questions trying to get you to doubt God and His Word. It's the tools of Bible rejection. Then we see the strifes of words. This is the disputations about trifles. They'll say things like, well, uh, where, where did Cain get his wife? Well, I'd be happy to talk to you about where Cain got his wife. But you know, the Bible says the most important thing in front of you right now is your eternal soul. Where are you going to go when you die? Jesus Christ, I, I don't care about that. Where'd Cain get his wife? Are you serious? And again, we can talk about that, but it's more important that you decide about Christ right now. And so they'll nitpick all these little things. You know, they'll try to find numbers that are off in the Bible. Well, the Bible can't be trusted because this verse says this, and this verse says this, and speaking often of their ignorance, that they don't even know what they're saying. And so we see the tools of rejection, questions to cause doubt, strifes of words. These are uh, disputations about things that don't matter. And then envy. Uh, next, the, the Word of God here says envy. This is ill will. 
if they can't get you with the questions and they can't get you distracted by getting you focused on the, the, the minor details of the Bible, they can still be talked about, but man, they'll throw away every big thing to talk about some little thing straining at gnats. But then they'll just start having ill will towards you. Oh, you Christians. Oh, you go to that church. Oh, you. And it becomes you. And this envy, this ill will. I don't want you to do well. I want you to suffer. I don't want your life to work out so that it validates the way I'm living. And then we see strife. This is contention and debate. They don't want to learn. They want to argue. And I'll be honest with you, when, when I'm out soul winning or even counseling with people, I won't spend five minutes arguing. I just won't do it. The only person I argue is with my wife. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that either. Sorry, honey. And uh, I just don't argue with people. And you learn to very quickly tell the difference between someone who truly wants to know, and maybe they have a strong opinion, but they're, they're, they're open. God's working on their heart versus someone that just wants to argue. And uh, one of the things you learn when you're out soul winning is Satan will be happy to have you argue with people instead of telling the person next door who's ready to get saved. You know, if you're, especially when you start going soul winning, you'll argue with someone for 40 minutes and use up all your soul winning time. Well, I didn't get to talk to too many people, but I had a really good argument with well, there's probably other people in that community that needed the truth. And so we see strife and then railings. You see at the end of verse 4, railings. This is vilification. This is, okay, now I need to start saying all kinds of bad things about you because since I can't defeat your biblical argument because the Bible trumps everything, now I'm going to start attacking you personally. We see this in politics all the time, don't we? When your argument fails, just attack the person. And we see this in... in uh, in Christianity. And boy, if, if they can't get you to disbelieve the Bible, they'll start attacking your preacher. They'll start attacking your parents. They'll start attacking your church. They'll start attacking this preacher that you listen to. Man, they'll just start vilifying everybody in your life, trying to get you to shake your confidence. Then we see the end of verse 4, evil surmisings. Those are hurtful suspicions. They'll start spreading rumors. Did you know this? Did you know this about them? Did you know they did this? You know, some of the greatest preachers that ever lived, if you look them up online, you'll see page after page of foolishness and lies. Why? Because their preaching is so absolutely powerful. You can't deny the Spirit when you hear it. So let's vilify them. Let's, let's create suspicion. Then we see it, verse 5, disper- perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. This is meddlesomeness. Boy, now they just get in everybody's business. And then more false doctrine on top of that. Verse 5 says, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawal thyself. And so we see the tools of rejection. And let's end with this. So what do we do, preacher? We know we're supposed to preach the word. We know we're supposed to, we know and understand that some people are going to reject the word. So what do we do? We help those who accept the word while withdrawing from those who reject it. Look at verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. That's another false doctrine. So one false doctrine leads to another, leads to another. From such, withdraw thyself. You know, you can't help everybody. As much as you want to, there's people you can't help right now. Now, I don't have a blacklist. I never write people off forever. But I will... Say in my mind to people, this person doesn't want help right now. Maybe something's got to happen in their life. Maybe God has to get their attention. 
I'll be here for them when they're ready. But I'm not going to spend my life arguing with them over things that I'm not going to change their mind and they're not going to change my mind. The key is make sure you don't get corrupted while you're trying to help others. You know, it's like the Jehovah's Witness. They, they changed their tactics a few years ago. They'd love to talk to you now. They love to talk to you. Used to, it'd be like, oh, I believe in Jesus. They'd be like, okay, bye. And now it's like, oh, no, I'm a Baptist. I believe in Jesus. Oh, wonderful. We do too. Let's talk. Because they want to get you in Bible studies and talk to you long term. And the, the Mormons want to sit down with you and converse long term and question and strifes of words and all the tools we talked about. And so we have to understand that while we have a desire to help everybody, there's a group of people who are fully rejecting God's word. Sad to say there's Christians who reject parts of it. How many of you know a Christian that they'll, they believe in salvation, but man, they have no problem going through the Bible saying, well, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, and I don't believe that, and I don't believe that. Man, that's wicked. That's sin. And if you don't believe the verse next to it, how can you believe John 3.16? So we help those who accept the word while withdrawing from the others. And just a few statements. Help those that are open to it. Give the truth to honest questions. Don't be scared of questions. If you, just be honest and say, if they ask you a question you don't know, say, I don't know, but I'll find out the answer and get back to you. Especially when you're out sowing, if they ask you a question about some little thing, say, you know what, I'd be happy to answer that in a minute, but if I could, let me finish showing you about Jesus here. What you'll find is if they get saved, that little thing they were asking about, they don't even care about it anymore. They just got saved. But it's that little thing that's going to try to keep them from getting saved. All right, and then confront falsehood. We need to know the word of God well enough where we can see falsehood when we see it, and then we're able to confront it in our lives. Verse 4, humbly keep learning. Can I tell you a secret? You're going to learn things. I don't care if you are here tonight and you're 16 or you're 75. If you keep growing in grace, you're going to learn things and you're going to look back at your life and be like, boy, I was really hard on people about that and I was wrong. You got to keep growing. Be patient with people who aren't where you are. Give them time to grow. But also realize that you're putting your foundation on the word of God, not on your own thoughts and feelings. And then realize you might feel really strongly about something. And then find out five years from now, you know, that really wasn't something that God was concerned about. I felt really strongly about this thing over here, and I had this huge problem in my life. And God dealt with me about this over here. And now this doesn't seem like such a big deal. So humbly keep learning. And then don't get caught up in the drama, the strife, the debate. Don't get caught up in it online. I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't confront it, but man, don't get in these long... I've tried to get in conversations with people online. I remember years ago, I'll finish with this. I had some people that I knew in a talk on Facebook, and they were kind of talking back and forth. And the question came up, is Jesus the Son of God? And I thought, wow. I thought, boy, there's a few guys in that group that's going to take care of that, and nobody said anything. They let people who thought that Jesus wasn't the Son of God uh, kind of take over the conversation and promote that idea. So I was part of the conversation. I didn't say anything. I had never said anything. But I said, you know, I got I to gotta answer this. Something in my spirit said, boy, Jesus is the Son of God. That's a big deal. I spent three hours. I studied my Bible. I wrote it out. I had an argument line upon line. 
I had dozens of Bible verses. I can't remember how many I had offhand, but dozens of Bible verses. Three hours, then I prayed about it, and then I posted it. And I thought, boy, this is really going to help some people. And then I check back later, and the next guy says, no, I don't believe that. Another guy says, that's not how I feel. And I'm like, dozens of Bible verses. I think I even wrote Bible verses. Yeah, I just don't, I just don't agree with that. Bible verses. You know, to me, it's like that settles it. I just feel differently. And the Lord taught me a lesson that day that some people aren't looking for answers. I could have spent five hours on that, six hours on that. It probably would have had the same result. So I'm interested in helping people that want help and even helping people that oppose themselves and maybe at first are very, are very antagonistic, but they're willing to learn. But I will not spend my life chasing after people who don't want God. I want to spend my life giving the word to those who do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us with the truth of this. We've all got friends and loved ones that we care about, and we want to know you. And so please, Lord, give us wisdom to know how to deal with those who reject God's word. In this piece of scripture.